is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Today is the deadline to determine whether Detroiters will get the opportunity to approve or deny some pretty sweeping changes to the city's governing structure on August 3rd. Back in 2018, voters approved a new charter revision commission to make recommended changes to the city's charter. But so far, those changes have been met with a lot of resistance. The Duggan administration is fundamentally opposed to the proposal that the commission is finalizing and saying that it would blow a major hole in the city's budget because of the obligations that are baked into the charter revisions. Governor Gretchen Whitmer has declined to approve the proposal as well, citing a review by Attorney General Dana Nessel's office that found, quote, substantial and extensive legal deficiencies in the plan. Nessel says, however, that the commission can still put the proposal before voters, even without the governor's approval. But it's still not clear whether City city Clerk Janice Winfrey will put the question on the ballot. And again, today is the deadline for her to decide. We should note right off the bat that we've invited the city, or someone representing the city, to come on the show and share its perspective on the issue, and so far they have not accepted that invitation, but it remains open and we hope they'll take us up on that offer at some point. But we want to start the discussion about this today and here to give his perspective as a member of the Detroit Charter Revision Commission is local attorney Richard Mack. Richard, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, greetings, Stephen. Always a pleasure to be on with you. Uh, long time listening to your program. <laughs> yes, no, it's a great. It's always great when you're here. Uh, also with us calling in is uh, Raquel Castaneda Lopez, who is a member of the Detroit City Council. Uh, Raquel, welcome back to Detroit Today as well. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here to talk about the People's Charter. Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, Richard, I'm going to start with you. A lot of people not necessarily familiar with this entire process and why it's important. So I want to start a little bit at the beginning. Uh, Why was this Charter Revision Commission formed and what is its goal? Great, Stephen. So in 2018, the voters of Detroit went to the ballot box and decided to form this commission to examine provisions in our charter uh, to determine whether or not they should be revised. Um, and, you know, Stephen, I think we've had an historic level of involvement. I mean, well over n- nearly 400 uh, specific proposals, 300-plus uh, organizations uh, that have come together. We've had task force. Uh, people throughout this community, Stephen, have, have just been excited about putting forward a number of the proposals that we have in there. Um, and, and, and I think that if people look at the document, they'll be as excited as we are. Um, you know, some of the things, just to give off a couple of examples, mm-hmm. uh, we remember last year when the story came out that $600 million in property taxes was collected from Detroiters that shouldn't have been collected. Mm-hmm. So our government was charging us too much money. Um, and at that time, the city didn't deny it. They just said, well, I'm sorry, we already spent the money, uh, but we'll give you half off on a house that you can buy. We're sorry that literally tens of thousands of you Tens of thousands of people lost their home through foreclosure because they were charged too much. Had they been charged the right amount, they would still be in their home today. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of Detroiters, Stephen. But the response was, we'll give you half off on a new home. Well, if I had the money to buy a new home, I would have just paid the taxes you overcharged me with the mm-hmm. state of my current home, right? Mm-hmm. So what we recommend in the, in the provision is that 
the uh, if you are able to show that you've been overassessed over the past 14 years, um, then you can present that to the city. And not that the city will simply cut you a check, but you will get a reduction of up to $1,000 on subsequent tax years per year. So for instance, David, my father was overassessed $3,000, we found out. So if these proposals pass, he can go to the board of review of the city and say, here's my proof that I've been overassessed. And they'll say, Mr. Mack, next year, your tax bill is normally 4,000. We're gonna give you a thousand off. And we're gonna do that each year going forward until you've been given your money back. Mm -hmm. So that's really a win-win. It keeps people here in the city. It uh, allows individuals to get their money back and it keeps, and, and, and it's a way for the city to have some integrity by making sure that we're, we're gonna fix the overcharging problem. And, and the, we costed it out. And if you figure that about a thousand people are gonna take advantage of this program, that's a million dollars a year, a thousand people, a thousand dollars a year. We think it's well worth that to make sure that people stay in this city. We continue to have property taxpayers and property owners in this city and that people get their money back. So that's just one of the many things that we have in, in the revision. It's a great, it's a great example of the, the kinds of things that uh, you guys have included in this, in this document and the kind of things you've been talking about uh, while you've been meeting uh, uh, Councilwoman, you referred to this as the people's charter when when I introduced you, and I think what what uh, Richard Mack was just talking about that kind of proposal is probably what you had in mind uh, when you used that phrase. Exactly. So, Stephen, um, my work actually began on this with a coalition who of folks who have been working for racial justice and social equity for, for decades. After you know George Floyd's murder, there was a large outcry from Detroiters and people around this country to do some serious, serious um, policy changes to not just you know paint a plaza and say Black Lives Matter, but to really look at what we can be doing systemically. And so my office, in partnership with Pro Tem Mary Sheffield, uh, brought together coalitions of coalitions of folks and formed the Detroiters Bill of Rights Coalition. And this is why we talk about the charter as being the People's Charter, as being the Detroiters Bill of Rights. Because what's reflected in the document, if you actually read it, is about protecting people's access to water. It's about protecting Detroiters' ability to live and breathe clean, live in safe communities and breathe clean air. It's about protecting Detroiters' uh, you know, uh, access to mobility to be able to get from spot to spot to get to doctor's appointments, to get to schools, to get to their local grocery and pharmacy stores, et cetera, et cetera. This document is really about protecting um, Detroiters' basic human rights and civil rights and restoring dignity so that they truly can live in the city of Detroit uh, in safe neighborhoods, in clean neighborhoods. And this is what this document is about. And so it is really scary and dangerous to have the administration putting out false numbers to try to discredit what's in this document. And I think what we're seeing, unfortunately, from this administration is similar to what we saw in the Trump administration, to use fear and to use scarcity tactics to try to um, uh, convince people to not support this, this being on the, you know, to kind of kill it before it even makes it on the ballot. Mm. But we know that this is about um, siding with the people, supporting what Commissioner Max said, you know, supporting the over, you know, 400 folks that submitted comments on the Detroiters Bill of Rights. We have over 100 organizations from the ACLU of Michigan to trans sisters of color to disability rights advocates all signed on to support the Detroiters Bill of Rights and over 500 folks signed on to get this move forward and to get this implemented, because yeah. this is what's right for us as a city. And this is what 
justice really looks like. So, so I want to talk a little more about uh, the financial side of it a little bit, and and, and uh, that is the city's response is that uh, this would this would obligate. Uh, spending that goes beyond what their their resources should be, and again, we'd love for someone who represents the city to come on and and, and make that case here on on the show. But but I want to talk a little more about what uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel said about this. Um, one thing she pointed out was that a proposed change in the city's water system. She says is in direct conflict with the bankruptcy plan. Uh, uh, she also says that uh, what you're proposing in terms of limiting reductions in pension benefits and and increased general city spending, she says those proposals could lead to budget deficits and lead once again to state oversight of the city's finances under rules determined by the bankruptcy. Uh, Richard, uh, you're an attorney. Um, uh, this is the lead attorney in the state. Why is she? Do you think she's wrong, I guess, uh, well, about her interpretation here? I mean, I, I mean, Stephen, I'll say that any in any piece of legislation that you write, you can go look at any bill. There's going to be tweaks, changes, clarifications. Uh, we did look at what the uh, governor put out in their letter, and we're taking it very seriously. Matter of fact, tonight we're having a meeting where we address uh, our response to a number of those matters. I don't want to preempt what we're going to do, but the, the concerns are being taken very seriously. I view them not as this major uh, uh, need for major overhaul, but the clarifications, um, you know, as I can write off some examples of that, but in the ones you just mentioned, you know, the fact that the, the pension rights, I mean, basically what that issue was is making sure that Detroiters knew that they had a state constitutional, uh, you know, protected right. Now, under Article 9, Section 24 of the Michigan Constitution, it says your pension rights cannot be diminished or impaired. Stephen, you and I went through that with the bankruptcy mm-hmm. a few years back. Mm-hmm. And, and and so basically this charter provision places that in and they, the, the, the letter raised a concern, well, we get that, but, you know, we have the FRC that's been created and how does that work vis-a-vis the, um, you know, the, 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 the plan of adjustment. And so we had to clarify, right? So we're going to have to make some clarifications. So I, I don't, I don't view it as a major overhaul, but what I will say as far as the finances, so, so but, but before you yeah. before you go f- past yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I, I, when you say clar- when you say you think you can make clarification, you think you can make clarifications that will satisfy the concerns that the attorney general uh, brought up in 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 this case. I think that the concerns were not significant enough so that it's impossible. Again, okay. I don't want to. I'm one of nine people. I don't want to preempt what we're going to do, but sure. absolutely. The concerns were not significant enough. As a lawyer, I looked at them. They're not significant enough to where it is, you know, not possible to 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 address those concerns. Absolutely not. Hmm. Um, you know, but but I do want to just touch Go on, ahead. you know, the yeah. one the one narrative, and you're not going to get anyone from the city to come on, at least not with us. You know, frankly, when their report came out, their CFO report came out uh, in Jan- uh, February of this year. Uh, it was after we had invited them to come to the table. Uh, for months before, as of last April, uh, they had declined, but then they came to the report. And when they did so, uh, we invited the CFO's office. We invited them and said, please come. We're Detroiters. We don't want to blow a hole in the budget. They didn't come to us. They complained to city council about what we put out. They complained to the Financial Review Commission about what they put out, but they refused to visit us. And I'll, again, I'll invite them. Tonight's our, our meeting. Uh, uh, Mayor Duggan and CFO, we meet at five o'clock. Please come. Let's let's go through what you say is going to blow a hole in this budget. But they haven't shown. But the real issue is 
We don't mandate free water. We don't mandate free buses. We don't mandate free Wi-Fi. What we do mandate is a historic level of involvement of citizens infused into government to come up with recommendations, volunteer, by the way, to come up with recommendations as to what needs to happen with government. Just one quick example, Stephen, that I'm really excited about. Public broadband. They claim, the city claims that it's going to be $56 million that we're going to charge the city because we're giving away free Wi-Fi. But that's just not that's just false. You can't cost out what hasn't been created. What we do say is public broadband is we say, look, nine out of 10 Detroit students have been unable to learn competently through the pandemic because they haven't had either free. They don't have internet connection. Because they don't have internet. They don't have a tablet. They don't have the necessary things. So when their smartphone minutes run out, their internet runs out and they've been unable to learn. We create a commission of citizens to study, to research, to talk to experts, to look at best practices, to present those ideas to the city council, to the mayor, and say, this is what we've studied. Now everyone says, oh, well, we got city council elected. Well, unfortunately, the, the, the leaders haven't gotten to that yet. So what we do is we say the commission should be dedicated to focus on that issue, to present those to city council. At that time, they make those decisions. So it's it's a false narrative, it's a false budgetary assumption to say, oh, it's going to cost $56 million when the ideas haven't been created yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know what kind of grant funding they're going to find. We don't know what kind of ideas they're going to, to come up with at that time. So you can't say that the commission is going to cost that kind of money, but you can say that the commission is offering an opportunity for citizens to really you know, carve out their own destiny. Yeah. You know, that's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That's what you're doing <laughs> in this charter, right? Yeah, yeah. As I'm talking with Richard Mack. He's an attorney and member of the Detroit Charter Revision Commission and with uh, Raquel Castaneda-Lopez, who is a member of our city council here in the city of Detroit. We're talking about the proposed revisions to the Detroit City Charter. Today's the deadline to determine whether Detroiters We'll get to vote on this uh, in in August. There have been some objections raised by uh, the Duggan administration to the proposed changes and uh, by Governor Whitmer and Attorney General Dana Nessel. Uh, if you want to give us a call, participate in the conversation here, call, tell us what you think about the Charter Revision Commission, uh, the things that they're proposing. If you're a Detroit voter, uh, I, I really wonder if you hope you would get a chance to vote uh, on this proposal. Um, uh, Ra- Raquel, I... I want to ask you a kind of big picture question because you're a member of council. So a lot of the things, as Richard really just pointed out, a lot of the things in this in this charter revision are things that city council could do on its own. If you got five votes, uh, you you could make these policy changes that I think uh, are getting a lot of attention in this. But of course, Getting to that five votes is is difficult, and and so far hasn't happened. And so the idea that this is an end run around the legislative power that council has in the city to try to bake something into the the, the, the constitutional documents that that uh, that guide the city that tie the hands or force the hands of council. I, I'd really love to hear your take on that because again, you are you are a member of of that city council. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question, Stephen. I think that's a really important question to ask. And I would say um, the one of the reasons I, I chose to work in partnership with the community on presenting the Detroiters Bill of Rights and a you know large chunk of proposals to embed in the charter is because fundamentally we believe that 
people's human rights and uh, our morals and our values should be embedded in the charter. That should be the document that encompasses the principles on which, you know, our government functions. So it's not a question about power and the legislative body. It's a question of how um, do we want to govern ourselves as a city and how do we ensure and make sure that these basic rights, again, are protected and embedded into this constitution, the, gov- the document that governs us as a municipality. So it's not subjected to the political will or to someone's political interest or campaign um, goals on a year-to-year basis, because that is, uh, you know, puts Detroiters at risk if you have someone who maybe supports disability rights and then someone who doesn't support disability rights. You know, in this uh, Bill of Rights is the creation of the Office of Disability Affairs and establishment of a Disability Justice Commission. And that community should not have to depend on the political will or interest of the legislative body, nor the mayor or the administrator. And so that's how we approach it. This is a document um, that we should, in, in which we should embed our principles, our values. It should be reflect those those ideas and then our government should be structured in that way. Uh, unfortunately, there's, as you know, lots of money within our political system, and that often controls the type of policy that then comes out. And Detroit is unfortunately no different. And so I, as a council member, don't feel that anything in the charter is restricting my rights. I feel like it's giving me the guidelines at which I then operate and execute. And to Commissioner Max Port, there's nothing in there that mandates council has to do this. It does say council will, you know, pass legislation, but council, of course, then can determine the details of that legislation around environmental justice, around uh, water affordability, et cetera, et cetera. But mm. as a resident, as a native Detroiter, uh, I think I would say even as a resident of, you know, of this country, I think our constitution locally as, as well as nationally really should uh, um, have embedded the protection of basic, just basic human rights for folks. And this is what this document seeks to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to the phones here. We've got some really good calls and questions. Uh, John on the East side. I got to go. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have some questions about was the charter before 2012 being filed. And as you went through this one, has this one been, uh, been filed, um, Fouled, and if not, who who enforces that? Is that the executive or is that the council? Yeah, uh, that's a good question, John. I mean, you're talking about the the prior charter revision, which created uh, a lot of changes, including council representation by 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 district. But but the 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 question I think that's critical here is if you get these things passed, if Detroiters accept them, whose responsibility is it to make sure that that the, the, the government operates this way? Yeah, great question, Stephen. Um, yeah, the, we do bolster the enforcement mechanism within the charter. Uh, primarily, the Corporation Council um, is, is the you know, attorney for the city, body corporate. Uh, we allow for individuals to present uh, allegations of a, a charter violation and then put in specific benchmarks as to when a response should be. Not necessarily a response they want to hear, but a response by a certain period of time. But also you have the doctrine of the law called a writ of mandamus where you can basically go to court and say that we want to force the hand of the government uh, to follow what's specifically laid out in this charter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for instance, I'm just, just sort of piggybacking on your last uh, conversation, you know, we watched George Floyd die while we were writing this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so the Black Lives Matter movement 
really impacted and influenced us. And we talk about things like reimagining the police force. Again, not mandating certain specific things, but we require the police commission, the police chief to get together and reimagine uh, how it is policing in an urban America, how people, or black and brown in particular, view the police and how to better accomplish uh, a more of a communal uh, policing environment. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, all sorts of provisions, you know, no knock warrants. I mean, that was an easy, that was a low hanging fruit, right? Just banning no knock warrants, making sure the police, when they come into your premises, they announce themselves. Mm-hmm. So those things can be enforced by either going to court, going to the corporation council, uh, but we do bolster the enforcement mechanism within yeah. the charter. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to take one more call. Elena, I've only got like 30 seconds left, but I did want to get your questions in here. Thank Elena, you. yeah, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say that I don't believe that at all that it's the content of the charter that is troubling the administration and the power structure. It is the uh, incredible amount of voters it will bring out. Hmm. And an educated electorate is going to look at this charter and say, yes, why are we broke when we're giving away billions to billionaires? Hmm. Why do we have no Internet access when Dan Gilbert gets it for free for his tenants? Why are we doing this? And that's what they're afraid of. And that's why they don't want it on the ballot. Uh, Elena, that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, uh, Raquel, again, I've got about 10 seconds. Uh, Do you want to respond to that? Oh, I would agree wholeheartedly. It's a tactic of the oppressors. You try to delegitimize before it even goes on the ballot. I agree, because if we go out door to door talking to voters, everyday Detroiters, they know and they believe that every Detroiter should have um, these things, yeah. that yeah. they should have right to water. So I okay. think it's a no-brainer for Detroiters, and the administration okay. is afraid of that. Richard Mack, Raquel Castaneda-Lopez, great to have you both here for this. Still open invitation to anyone from the city government to come and give us the other perspective. Uh, Phones are open. uh, You can come right in here. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to the news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.